Hello from beautiful Vancouver Island and welcome to the podcast series Soul Conversations with me, Mia. I have created it in honor of your journey of expansion, personal growth, transformation and awareness. Each episode highlights a challenge we often face and the advantage of understanding it. It also sheds a light on why we reliably show up from ego and fear rather than from love and authentic self. I hope you enjoy and remember to subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Hi, Coach Mia here to welcome you to another episode of Soul Conversations with me. I'm super excited about today's episode because it's going to be like winning the lottery without even buying a ticket. And it's all about how we can navigate uncomfortable conversations with grace and with ease. In my own personal experience, as well as with clients, I've found that uh, difficult conversations very often lead to resolution, gold, or clarity. When the conversation is done with agility and intelligence and awareness, which actually takes a bit of practice. So first of all, often people confuse difficult conversations with confrontation or conflict, which is something most people do everything in their power to avoid. And it doesn't have to be that way. Yes, I get sometimes there is going to be conflict and confrontation, but it doesn't have to be that way. I recently had a conversation with a client about changing the idea of having a confrontation around something to maybe having an uncomfortable conversation. And just the simple act of rephrasing the idea removed the charge that was already building up. As we dive into the common fear of difficult conversations, I'm going to share some helpful tips for framing it successfully. And it begins by asking yourself before you even go into the conversation, if everything you are going to say or share in the conversation is necessary, kind, and true. If it's not, then maybe consider why it's so, so important to speak the words. Um, do you need to be right? Do you need to win? Do you need the other person to think like you do? Do you need your opinion to be the correct one? Do you want to hurt the other person? Do you want to make them wrong? Self-reflection can be very, very powerful. The next tap, tip is to understand the word trust. Trust actually changes our reality and it can look like many things. Trusting people will follow through and deliver on what they say they'll do. Trusting they won't hurt you or lie to you. And distrusting also looks like many things like assuming a person won't deliver on their purpose, that they don't have your best interests at heart, or they're just waiting to take advantage of you. When we trust self and others, self being the most important, we naturally experience higher levels of oxytocin which is the neurotransmitter that creates co-creation. And when we distrust, we naturally experience higher levels of cortisol, which creates an experience of separation and protection and distrust. Now, trust lives in our prefrontal cortex or our executive brain, and distrust lives in our limbic brain or our primitive brain. So to take this one step further, the primitive brain or reptilian brain is called the amygdala and it's hardwired to protect us from harm to our body, to our heart, to our ego. 
and it produces the emotions which signal the body to produce cortisol, which is the fight, flight, freeze, appease neurotransmitter. It's also called the shutdown and protect hormone. Now imagine going into a conversation from a place of distrust flooded with cortisol before you even show up. The outcome of the conversation will likely be relatively predictable. It might be a mess. On the other hand, the executive brain, which is also called the prefrontal cortex, it's hardwired to hold our more um, advanced capabilities such as envisioning possibility, uh, dreaming, empathy, and living in trust. It produces emotions which signal the body to release oxytocin, which is, of course, the hug hormone. Now imagine going into that same conversation from a place of trust flooded with oxytocin. The outcome of the same conversation will likely be a little bit different. You might end up making cookies and drinking wine together. So to circle back to trust, trust is a verb. It's the process of actively deciding to utilize the power of truth and understanding, transparency, and mutual reciprocity, or distrust, judgment, criticism, winning, those types of things. And this is why it's so important to prime yourself for trust before actually going into any type of difficult conversation. Deciding to come into a conversation open, calm, without an agenda or any armor changes the chemical cocktail you're drinking prior to going into that conversation. Whether we're drunk on cortisol or drunk on oxytocin, it really changes the landscape of the conversation before you even start. Boom. So the next tip is to recognize how to upregulate and downregulate conversations with agility. And again, this just takes practice, but you can't have practice without awareness. So are you able to downregulate the types of conversations where you're, where you're going to trigger fear or power plays or uncertainty or gaslighting, which is coming up next on my next episode, winning, addiction to being right, those types of things. These are typically characterized, these types of conversations are typically char characterized by excluding, say, information by judging, by limiting, withholding, silence. Ooh, that's a powerful one. Uh, knowing, dictating, criticizing, those types of things. So you wanna learn to downregulate those types of conversations and at the same time upregulate the types of conversations where you inspire transparency and relationship building and understanding and connection and truth and empathy and these are typically characterized by inclusion and appreciation and expansion, sharing, discovering, developing, celebrating, trusting, and getting curious. Upregulating and downregulating is a powerful piece to conversational agility. Now, let's make an ass out of you and me with the word assume. Um, when we know we're heading into a difficult conversation, it's very helpful to distinguish what is an assumption and what is a fact. Assumptions being our beliefs and judgments that create the story which may or may not hold any truth. Facts, on the other hand, are irrefutable. I was there. I said la-da-da. -da. It was a Tuesday at noon. I was wearing a red sweatshirt. 
assumptions may look like. You showed up angry, you picked a time that you knew I didn't like, you wore the color I hate the most just to piss me off and you weren't even sorry. A whole shit ton of assumptions right there. And it's always interesting, you know, how often I've worked with individuals who are processing an experience or an event that they've been carrying around for, it could be years. And when we really start to break it apart and look at the different pieces in order to understand why it holds so much power, the reality of the truth becomes, I would say, murky at best. The facts are what are important. Our interpretation of the facts are what make the story look different to everyone involved. And just because we think something doesn't necessarily mean it's true. That's so important. The next tip in conversational agility is the ability to move in and out of a conversation with ease and agility, allowing uh, for the opportunity to reframe, refocus and redirect at any given time. So when you see that a conversation is basically heading down a dangerous road, having the ability to in interrupt the direction, say, by refocusing it and maybe redirecting it in a direction that allows for uh, space or curiosity or wisdom or empathy and insight. This is a skill. And a great example of refocusing is to simply change a word. For example, changing the idea of something being a problem to what is the opportunity in that problem? There's always an opportunity in every problem. Or you can redirect a situation from being difficult or hard to being challenging, or maybe from the word never to when the time comes. All of this creates an environment for possibility, opportunities, elevated trust, co-creation, reciprocity. Now the next one is a tough one for a lot of people and that's holding space. Holding space for conversation and then really truly listening. A lot of people simply can't manage the silence of no talking. They have an overwhelming need to fill it in with talking or even more importantly with telling. And there's a great old saying, are you listening or are you just waiting to speak? And I find this very com common in conversation. People just can't wait to flip the conversation to themselves or to tell you what's best for you to do next. This isn't helpful. As a coach, silence is something we are trained in and it's often where the gold lives. I love watching and listening as a client rambles on their way down one idea, then off to another and then back to an old idea and round and round they go and eventually coming to a brand new conclusion. One where you can literally see the light bulb go on. So rather than me directing the flow of their thoughts or finishing their sentences or, or ideas or giving them options to consider, I'm just happy to let them ramble their way to a new awareness. It doesn't matter to me how long it takes for them to get there. And that is holding space. 
It's not my job. It's not the job of a coach to tell a client what to do. That's consulting or how to do it. It's my job to hold space for them to figure that out on their own. That gives them the power and the responsibility. So let's now move on to uh, something called bankruptcy words or disempowering words. In a conversation, this is really, really important and it's very powerful. These are words that disempower or handicap a conversation or a belief. In turn, the use of these words in our belief system affects behaviors and actions and ultimately the outcome of the story or the experience or the conversation. So words such as, but not limited to, uh, as like need, I need, I should, I hope, I wish, I'm going to try, I shouldn't, you shouldn't, if you're lucky, it's hard, stop, don't, and my favorite, but. So words such as need, should, hope, wish, try, shouldn't, lucky, hard, stop, don't, and but. These are just some of them. So imagine a conversation where one of the people says, I just wish you'd stop making everything so hard. You need to try and make it work for everyone involved. Now we could rephrase this from a place that's powerful, like what feels difficult about this situation? And what is the outcome you desire? I'm asking the same question from a very different perspective. And this way of participating in a conversation allows for expansion and clarity and empathy and future-based directions as opposed to sitting in the shit and just swimming around there. The first conversation is judgmental and critical and egoic and assumes that the person knows what is best for the other person. And this takes away their power and makes the teller actually responsible for the outcome. So start noticing how often you use these words when having conversations with the people that you love the most. Should, need, don't, and uh, stop and but seem to be the most prevalent ones. And but is an interesting one. But's not a bad word. It's just really interesting how often we have a, a phrase, but followed by a phrase. And the interesting thing is like, like, I love you, but you drive me crazy. So the but negates the I love you part and the only focus is but you drive me crazy. So you could replace but with and I love you so much and you drive me a little bit crazy. That allows for both uh, thoughts. So triggers are the next one. Triggers are stimuli that are tied to a past traumatic, scary or difficult experience. And the stimulus itself may not be frightening or traumatic, but it stimulates the memories of an event that were. Something such as like a smell or a song or a place or even a word. When the trigger shows up and the person doesn't have an understanding of the trigger, it will often send the amygdala, amygdala into overdrive, activating the limbic area of the brain, which we've already talked about, fight, flight, freeze, appease. And this area stores all of our old memories. These emotional threats, whether they are real or imagined, send us into the state of fight, flight, or freeze. Words, especially those spoken by people we perceive to be a peer or someone we, whom we love, carry way greater weight in our minds than words spoken by some stranger. And those words can become embedded in our brain. 
So being aware of your triggers is important in any difficult conversation. When you know them, you can be prepared for them if they show up. So for me, rejection is always a trigger. So I have to pay very close attention to when I feel rejected in a conversation and note that it's only a conversation. So the meaning of words um, is a powerful tool to utilize when having any form of conversation, especially difficult ones. So we've got bankruptcy words and now we've got actually the meaning of words. So what a word means to you may be entirely different than what a word means to me. If we're sitting in a room with 10 people and I use the word love, I bet you we're going to have, we're going to have 10 different uh, definitions of the word love. So when we assume, making an ass out of you and me, that a word means the same to the other person as it does to us, then we already start a dialogue based on personal bias. So a great example, I'm just going to give you a simple example, is the word success. So having a difficult conversation around the word success requires us to begin by understanding what that word means. So say I'm trying to get my son to understand how important it is to set himself up for success. Meanwhile, he thinks it means a collection of cars and trucks. And I mean to live a happy and fulfilling life that includes health, wisdom, personal growth. You can see how we're already off to a shaky start. He thinks it's one thing. I think it's another thing. We're speaking two different languages. So by asking what that word means to him, helps me to gain an understanding and perspective, which enables us to speak a similar language and to become more conversationally intelligent. So lastly, I know this is a lot of information and throwing, at, throwing it at you in a short period of time, but we can always get together and chat more if you want. So the last piece is some basic format suggestions for asking intel, uh, conversationally intelligent questions. And these seem simple, but they're actually really quite tough uh, to do on the, on the fly. And it takes practice. It's also one of the most important parts of having a difficult conversation. So the first thing is you want to ask questions without an ABC, one, two, three, X, Y, Z. So for an example, a great example, or, or an example is, um, hey, hun, where would you like to go for holidays this year? Hawaii or Mexico? Meanwhile, Hun is like, yeah, I don't want to go to either. I want to go see my family in Edmonton. So a, a better way to phrase that is, hey, Hun, where would you like to go for holidays this year? The next one is to ask questions for which you have absolutely no idea what the answer is going to be. Hey, Hun, where would you love to go with our vacation money next year? He could say like, who knows what he might say. So. This is an important piece because you're not imposing your needs, wants, and desires onto the other person. That's a whole other conversation. And then the last one is to ask open-ended questions that are not leading, so not leading questions. So here's an example using sort of the same idea. Hey, hun, wouldn't you just love to see the ruins in Egypt next year for our vacation? Meanwhile, hun's going, yeah, Egypt's the last place that I want to go to. So trying to formulate your questions in order to get the person to land where you want them to land is a leading question. So the, those three ideas, those three methodologies of asking questions really allow for a massively open conversation that you have no idea where it's going to go, which is so cool.
So to recap all the tips in one sweeping blither, here you go. Say what is true, kind, and necessary. Learning or relearning to trust, especially self, and then prime for trust going into the conversation, which ties into the next step. Remembering the chemical cocktails of conversation, cortisol versus oxytocin. This is part of priming going into a conversation. What are you flooded in, cortisol or oxytocin? Distinguish the assumptions from the facts. Upregulate and downregulate your conversation styles. Refocus, redirect a conversation that's headed for a train wreck. Hold space and listen. Avoid using disempowering words whenever possible. Know your triggers. Understand and distinguish the meaning of words for each party in the conversation. And then lastly, utilize the different ways of asking questions that empower the conversation. So conversational intelligence is a skill and like any skill, the more you practice it, the better you get at it. So if this episode really landed with you and you'd like to explore the idea of having a difficult conversation more, uh, reach out and we can schedule a couple of laser sessions around the conversation that you are wanting to have. I'm pretty easy to find. So thank you again for listening to another episode of Conversations with Mia. The next one coming out will be on gaslighting, which goes together quite nicely with this particular episode. So remember to subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Until next time, keep growing and keep learning.